Welcome to Bewildered. I'm Martha Beck, here with Rowan Mangan. At this crazy moment in history, a lot of people are feeling bewildered, but that actually may be a sign we're on track. Human culture teaches us to come to consensus, but nature, our own true nature, helps us come to our senses. Rowan and I believe that the best way to figure it all out is by going through bewilderment into bewilderment. That's why we're here. When you set out to become bewildered, you can find yourself doing odd things. Yeah, sometimes you feel this strange, almost physical pull to do certain things at certain times. Like us, for instance. Right now, we're feeling the pull together. Like... With you, if you want. And we want to do it somewhere wild. So we've dreamt up this unlikely notion of a culture cleanse retreat. We meet up in beautiful, lush, natural Costa Costa Rica Rica! and spend six days stripping away the layers of culture that keep us from our truest purpose. Ro and I will be teaching you to drop everything in your mind in life that isn't your pure, wild self. That's why we're calling the retreat. Pure, wild self. Mm. We're going to help you learn to hear the difference between the false voice of culture and the true voice of your nature. It is going to be so fun. And, you know, possibly life-changing. So all we want to ask you right now is this. Do you feel the pull? Just notice. Why are we doing this? No No idea. idea. But we're doing it in January of 2025, and we hope you can come. Go to marthabeck.com slash retreat to learn more. Hi, I'm Martha Beck. And I'm Rowan Mangan. And this is another episode of Bewildered, the podcast for people trying to figure it out. How are you doing, Marty? I am so well. It is springtime at this point. I don't know when you're listening to this, but there were opossum tracks in the mud by the house. And it made me so deeply happy in my heart. I thought you said they were raccoon tracks. Uh, I think I found some raccoon tracks yesterday, but I think I found some opossum tracks today. I don't know. But we had... Bear tracks once, so. Are opossums just like Irish possums? <laughs> <laughs> Brendan opossum. The, in, in Scotland, they're called Mac possums. Mac possums, the dark play. Yes. <laughs> so how are you doing, Rowie Joe? I am doing really well after an aborted attempt yesterday to record this podcast when all the planets teamed up with Mercury, not just Mercury, everyone was there to flat out make it impossible for podcasts to happen. Scuttled. And today is a new day. Our energy is clear. It's flowing. I've got a good feeling about it. Uh, So tell me what you're trying to figure out. Um, well, speaking of animals, um, I don't know what to do with our beloved third leg of the stool here because we just don't think alike. We were sitting around the other day and she was just sort of watching. You're talking the news. about our beloved Karen. Of yes, our beloved Karen, the third leg of the stool of our deeply satisfying domestic arrangement. And uh, suddenly she said, <laughs> Sloths, how do they even exist? I'm like, what? I'm like, Karen, are you watching something about sloth? That's more my turf. And she's like, no, I'm watching the news. I'm just thinking, sloth. Like, how do they exist? <laughs> and I'm like, how do you exist? And she said, yeah, I know, but sloths? And I didn't understand. I was like, I do is- sort of get it. Like, they are like a four-year-old's drawing of an animal kind of an animal. 
Well, that's true too. But I also think, you know, another name for our beloved Karen is Hasty McEarly Pants. Yes, this is true. Um, also Captain Hammer Heels because she runs through the house like starting at 5 a.m. just doing all manner of things while you and I are, are like sloths. Yeah, that's true. Uh, what? <laughs> and so I think she was deflecting her frustration at our morning person personas. Um, mm, projecting into sloths. onto sloths as we've yeah. all done at one yeah. time or another. And then when I, I said, um, that's really silly, she was like, oh, I guess I was brought down my, by my own canard. I think she meant, <laughs> is it hung from my own petard? Hoisted, hoisted, hoisted by, by your my own, own petard. petard. Well, she was brought down by her own canard. <laughs> a canard is like a, a figure of speech, but I only knew the French canard, which means it's duck. duck. Yeah. Yeah. It is an English word that means uh, an idiom or a figure of speech. It was like a joke. Huh. It could be. Yeah. Anyway, I just had these images of Karen going out to kill all the sloths in the world for not being fast enough and then being brought down by a duck, her own duck. Her own duck. Oh, <laughs> the irony that it right. was her own duck in the end. Right? Bitter. Yeah. Bitter and sweet. So what are you trying to figure out, Ro? I'm actually trying to figure out what a petard is, but I'll leave that for another day. Um, <laughs> okay, so the other day, speaking of other days, which we weren't, uh, I was I found myself in an oratory mid-oratory to, oh. I forget if it was you or Karen, sometimes you're interchangeable oh, too. I, I saw you with a whole audience, but go on. <laughs> I don't need an audience, but <laughs> um, And I was describing <laughs> this new gadget that I'd ordered online. And I had- oh Yeah, oh yeah. A you gadget know, <laughs> online? You know me and gadgets. But this was like a new invention, like a new never before mm. seen thing mm. that now graces us on planet Earth. Mm. And I was explaining, I think it was Karen, I was explaining to Karen what it does. And what I does had, it do? I'll tell you in a minute, but okay. I had that moment in the middle of saying it where I was just like, so I started out, you know, hey, Karen, I've ordered this cool new thing. You'll never guess what it does. And then I started telling her and then I was about halfway through and I went, this is not true. This is not a real thing. <laughs> I've been scammed. This doesn't make any sense at all. This cannot this cannot be, to use my nephew Marquito's words when we once gave him a switch light for Christmas. This cannot be. Best reaction Best. to a gift ever. Oh, my God. Um, and what was it? What okay, was so the this thing? Is, I'll tell you what it, <laughs> what it is. It's a thing you put under your pillow. Okay. <laughs> it's a Bluetooth little um, bar. It's a little Bluetooth bar. Okay. Okay. It's not a speaker per no. se because no. it doesn't it Speak. doesn't project into the air, into uh -huh. the sound waves. It uh -huh. only this is where I started questioning myself. <laughs> it it can't be heard in the air. It can only project noise through the magic of pillow texture. <laughs> so if you want to listen to your audiobook in bed, check. And you don't want anyone else in the room to have to be bothered by it, check. Uh-huh. This is the perfect thing. It'll just be there under your pillow. Only you can hear it because you're the only one with an ear on the other side of the pillow. And I was like, that's not true is have it you, did you get it have you no, tried it haven't got it yet you, you know what i 
quite often put my iPhone under my pillow and put it on a really slow speed and put on like a meditation tape to go to sleep. And I think it definitely comes through the pillow, but not out into the room. You know, you... Maybe it's just an iPhone. Maybe I'm just going to get the little speaker <laughs> and they're just going to be like, you idiot. Um, I just want to say as a side note that I think you have some of your more interesting dreams when you do that thing with meditation. Holy smokes. It's you, so you, true. Oh, you often find yourself in dreams where you're in some sort of dreamlike situation. <laughs> and it's just like you're having your dream, but there's just someone really boring there. <laughs> Who Last won't night, stop talking about at, meditation. <laughs> at three-quarter speed listening to this, I had a dream that I was in a very endless seminar. <laughs> and this, That's right. This wise woman kept talking and talking and talking. And and then Wasn't re- it that you were lying flat on your back and everyone else was seated? Everyone else was in the meditation process posture. I was lying rigid in bed because I had back pain in the dream and in real life. And I kept seeing, I would, you know how they say, let the clouds, let the thoughts go by like clouds. Well, I'd open my eyes and a cloud would go by, but like super fast. (laughs) And then there were more and more. And then it was a hurricane. And then all the other people got blown away. And that woman was still (laughs) talking. (laughs) And then the room filled with evil otters, which I had to deal with one by one. And then we woke up to find that we had each bought each other a card with this exact same card with an otter on it. That's probably what the dream was about. Because they have shown, and this is literally true, uh-huh. that they used to, they did this study where they kept a record of people's dreams and they had to do journals at the same time. And what they were thinking was the dreams would be processing what people had experienced during the previous day, right? Yeah. And it turned out that the journals did reflect what happened to the people on a certain day, but it wasn't the day before the dream. It was the day after the dream. Yeah, that's one of the coolest facts you have ever brought forth. People were dreaming about the next day day that they were about to have. And maybe in your dream, the otters were evil because you were processing the fact that we were both unoriginal enough to get each other the same exactly. card. Exactly. That's mm. what I'm saying. Mm. Well, on that note, <laughs> shall we shall we start drifting like a cloud towards the topic? of Zipping like a cloud. Zip. We'll be right back with more Bewildered. I have a favour to ask. You might not know this, but ratings and reviews are like gold in the podcasting universe. They get podcasts in front of more faces, more eyes, more ears, all the bits that you could have a podcast in front of. That's what they do. So it would help us enormously if you would consider going over to your favorite podcasting app, especially if it's Apple, and giving us a few stars, maybe even five, maybe even six. If you can find a way to hack the system, I wouldn't complain. And uh, a review would also be wonderful. We read them all and love them. So thank you very much in advance. Let's just go out there and bewilder the world. Change, eh? Mm, It sure does keep happening. I feel like there's something that you, Martha Beck, have created that will help us understand how change affects us and how to manage it. 
by coincidence, now that you mention it, I have. It's called the change cycle. Mm. It's about four aspects of the whole process of change. And we've put the information together in one handy place so that the people can refer to it when they're going through change. And you know what else? We also made podcast episodes about each of the four squares in the cycle that are also on this new page that we've made for the peoples. Well, how remarkable is that? All right. You can find out all about the change cycle at marthabeck.com slash change. Yes, we must zip like clouds into the topic. And the topic today, it, we're calling it the pull, which yeah. is something that is a visceral description of what we sometimes experience and and many people do, we think. Yeah, I feel like it's one of those things that we do probably most of us experience, but because it's not in the culture, we don't really talk about it or Mm. know that it's a thing. So that's what we're going to try to do today. So I think that one of the most delicious experiences in life and Mm -hmm. also one of the like strangest Mm -hmm. is when you have the sense of being pulled towards something Mm -hmm. that makes no sense. Like you have no idea why you would be suddenly your interest and um, would be gravitating towards this topic, whatever it may be. Right. And, you know, I, having coached a lot of people, I think we probably all have this, but the culture teaches us not to know, or it, or it doesn't teach us anything. It, it kind of says, no, don't go, go there. It's not logical. Mm. And I, I do think it's closer to our true nature than to culture, because when you're in your true nature, you're very close to the mystery. Um, because that part of the brain that creates and follows the pull is the part that experiences things as, um, uh, Odios, is that the right word? No, nobody knows what odios means. Mm. Experiences things as metaphysical. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, odios petard. Look them up later. Okay, sorry. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Make my list. Every conversation with Marty. Here's your vocab. Um, but, you know, it's ironically because there's no language inside the mystery, right? Sometimes our only clue that we're close to it is the fact that we don't understand it and we don't have language for it, right? Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. I, I love that 13th century text, the cloud of unknowing. Yeah. I love that phrase, the cloud of unknowing. And in Asia, they call it beginner's mind, you know, just the empty open mind. And the logical brain that we're taught to use all the time says, must know why, must know why. But I, the pull is like going out for a walk with our two-year-old. <laughs> which I did yesterday, and it's like for your sins. <laughs> we had to visit the same dead beetle at least forty times, <laughs> and it's like we didn't need to know why she wanted to. Yeah. Well, she she has this vibe where she needs to check on things. Yes, that's the term that don't change. But she's just going to go check on it. I'm just going to check the eighth time we have to go down a steep hill. No, no, I'm just going to check. <laughs> yeah, she's definitely your daughter, honey. Yeah. And mine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're you're the dead beetle mummy. I'm the nurture, you're the nature. Um all right. So <laughs> that, that's another topic for another day. Mm-hmm. Um so I reckon when you're stuck in culture, like when you're very much living inside the culture and you get the pull, mm-hmm. I think either it's like com- just completely confusing, completely befuddling. Yeah. Yeah, right. and, and we've both had this happen in our lives when we were very like straight down the line, trying to achieve in the academic culture, very material based logic. 
And we've talked about how we both resist it. Like I used to resist yeah. it hard. Usually so there's be- two two reactions. Yeah. Either you get completely confused or you you resist knowing it or responding to it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's when I'm being pulled and I'm resisting, that's when I'm really aware there's something pulling me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I think it's it can be it can literally be that physical push pull kind of thing like you you're pushing against it it's pulling you it's like one of those magnet <laughs> things where yeah um see uh, the opposite you know when you do the same instead of the opposite right. and they're like yeah where they won't go apart and then you turn around and they go Shook, yeah and stick together tight yeah it does, like, we were looking back at this. We were just having a conversation about the times we felt this and then what happened next. And we both experienced it many times, but we thought of some examples that we want to share. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I once paid all the money I had in the world, all of it, mm. to go on a five-day retreat in the middle of nowhere, South Africa, mm. just to spend time with some weird-ass self-help guru. Can you imagine doing oh, such a thing? That is, I'm so sorry, hon. I'm so <laughs> sorry you spent all your money to go meet this daffy creature in the middle <laughs> of the African bush. Turned out all right. Turned Actually. out because it wasn't me. It you. <laughs> and... I spent all the money I had in the world when I was quite a bit older. I mean, when you're when you're in your 30s and you do that, yes. But the day I turned 50, the day I spent all the money I had compiled in the world to go buy this little property in the middle of a forest in California and go there to do I knew not what, like absolutely nothing. Play a flute to the foxes. I, I did that the very first did. night I was there. I wouldn't turn on any electricity. And that forest was so brimming with life. And I just sat there playing the recorder. <laughs> so, so, And you paid all your money to meet me. Oh, good You're God. pretty cute. But for those, I mean, I'm checking my privilege here. How many people can like buy a place in California? Not, but another experience that was very intense. I get it with books. Yeah. And I remember being in South Africa and there somebody had left this book called I Am That in the room where I was staying by Nisargadatta Maharaj. And I'd seen it before. And this one time I was there and that book pulled me so hard toward it. I almost cried. It was weird. Mm. I saw it and I was like, oh, thank you. And it, And I started to read it and it's maybe 800 pages long. It's really long and really bizarre for some people. And I couldn't leave it. I had to like take a copy with me on the plane and then buy them another one to replace the one you that I- You stole it. Just Okay, I stole, I stole a spiritual development book, <laughs> but it was a spiritually motivated theft. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sort of like Jean Valjean. Yeah, yeah, very By much the way, Jean Valjean. Jean Valjean's number in Les Mis- 24601. Yeah, my childhood um, zip code was 84601. So when I hear that song, I'm like, I am so close to being Jean Valjean. I have almost the same number in my past and I stole something that was spiritually motivated. I feel close to Jean Valjean because growing up in Australia, um, we are taught that 
you know, the sort of white Australian history of, of convicts and everything is uh, every convict who was sent over to Australia ended up there because they stole a loaf of bread <laughs> <laughs> or they were Irish rebels. Either way, completely justified. Very deep, deep relationship with bread in Australia, I take it. Yeah. It's funny. The other thing that we have done since we've been together is we were talk, you were just talking about the ranch in California. We left that ranch. Yes, we did. And we moved. How how many, how wide is America? About quite 3,000 miles. Yeah, 3,000 miles. Like I said, quite wide. Yeah. Um, and we moved across those miles. Yeah. Without knowing... <laughs> <laughs> without having a house to live in. And, like, we had Adam, we had two dogs. It wasn't like, you know, we could just put a swag over our shoulder and, and wander. Yeah, it was quite off. It was quite a troop. It was a, a troop. And we um, it all worked out in the end because it was the pool. It was like we were on track. But we just, you know, like we all three were just like, yeah, we're going to do that now. Yeah. We didn't have anywhere to live at the other nope. end. But when we were talking to our friend Liz about it, she's like, well, that's what we're like. We jump off cliffs. <laughs> and I just love that we jump off cliffs. And I do want to say, though, just to, to echo what you were saying about privilege is that um, you can take more risks mm -hmm. when you have a comfortable and sp safe space in the culture, right? Yes. So I just want to note that, that yeah. um, not our examples are clearly rooted yeah. in in the privilege of um risk taking that wasn't as risky yeah. as it would be for others so i just want to make sure that i i right. say that absolutely and i i also think though that um i think that we were sort of cliff jumpers all our lives in some strange way i mean i only applied to one college yeah because i had no. this yeah. So, but I, but I really, really take your point. And the other thing is that there's a saying, I don't know if you say this in Australia, but um, parents who, whose child, children have succumbed to peer pressure, you know, well, Bobby did it. I say, well, if Liz told you to jump off a cliff, would you do that? hundred percent. Yes. hundred percent. Thanks, Liz. It was amazing. So, <laughs> yeah. So depending on how you are raised and where, where the culture has landed you, um, it's different for everybody. And you may not even give yourself permission to know that you feel an inexplicable dream rising up in you. I think it's re it's harder when you, it was for me when I, one of the reasons we did it so blithely, comparatively blithely, is that we both had experiences with following it and it worked out. Mm, mm. And, and it I starts think to build trust. Yeah, that's true. I, and I think that it's also like, to define your cliffs you know you can jump off a cliff by yeah. by doing something that's relatively small relatively large you know that you can still jump off cliffs in any in any place mm -hmm. but you know we should talk about what the the pool actually feels like to us right right and by the way don't just jump off any old cliff you have do to it. really just do it find out <laughs> maybe you can fly if ro told you to do it would you okay so the way i feel this it's usually when i'm not sleeping in bed I have not mm -hmm. turned on any um, gizmos under the pillow to speak to me. <laughs> I'm just in the silence and everything sort of, everything verbal goes away. And it's like something starts to rise almost like a, like a balloon expanding. Like when they, mm -hmm. they heat up the, the air and the hot air balloons start to rise, it feels like that. And it starts to kind of lift me upward into what I call a preoccupation. 
So how do you know with that sensation of the balloon what it's like referring to, what it's pulling you towards? Then it starts to come into my mind. So I, 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 it comes with the feeling. The hmm. thing, the person or the book or the whatever it is starts to rise inside me and and the pressure of it inside me. I'm like, why am I thinking about this? happened with you, happened with Karen for that matter. Why am I thinking about this person? Why am I thinking about this person? And then it's like, oh no, it's the pull. I'm going to, I'm about to do something to change my life radically. I'm not really ready for this. And then it just keeps <laughs> rising and rising and rising. And it's irresistible actually. Yeah. Mm. What about mm. you? I just want to note that you say that, that like that tends to happen to you when you're lying in bed in the darkness. So, you know, a space that is free of culture if exactly. you want it to be yeah yeah um so for me i think yeah it's it's less embodied than that i think a sort of my my memory of feeling that is that i mean that sort of starts in a kind of daydreaming mode you know mm -hmm. when you just kind of your mind is just kind of raking through images idly they're all you know sort of floating by like a slow cloud this is why you can scroll the internet without getting pulled down rabbit holes you do this in your brain yeah i do yeah. i do i'm a scroller um and you know like thoughts memories are all being scrolled by and then but then the image are kind of like the the what do you call it like the film strip kind of mm -hmm. snags on something uh -huh. and so then and then something in that carousel of images is like suddenly kind of higher definition or brighter huh. or more saturated oh, that's so interesting and then I notice the physical pull and and the preoccupation as you say and oh great example <laughs> constant listeners will know recent preoccupation of mine not that recent still going to go on about oh, it quite a bit it. hashtag van life oh my goodness obsessed <laughs> with van life don't know why don't know why but that's all right why. i don't have to know why apart from the fact that it's just freaking cool to live in a van <laughs> enough said <laughs> hashtag van life there you go there's a dream for you uh, <laughs> okie dokie all right <laughs> Ugh, the van life stuff is pretty constant around these parts, folks. It's so good. And when she wants something, she makes it happen. It's yeah. So I, I see. But what a van. if it makes no sense? What if you've got a toddler and you would never take a toddler in van life? Shh, shh. It's okay. It's okay. She's getting to the point of using, I think, power tools and would physically disassemble a van at this our, moment. Our toddler. Yeah. Oh, without yeah, question. No. She has the strength of nine elephants and a mind for using tools. Maybe I could just like build a kind of playground on top of the roof of my van. And then just zip down the there. highway at 75 miles an hour with her playing up there. Oh, a trampoline. There you go. That's a bold parenting choice. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly illegal. Anyway. Anyway. Back to our topic. There's also for me, you can feel uh, the timing of it by the urgency Oh, that's so, true. And and just for example, I don't feel a lot of urgency with my preoccupation in van life. I'm just enjoying God. it. <laughs> Very complicated. Okay. Sorry, go on. All right. So um, like it starts for me as a, an, an idle but recurring preoccupation. And hmm. then as the time gets short for it, if, if there's a timing element to it, for some reason that I don't know, it can be very, very urgent. And I was thinking about this when I moved to Phoenix, I didn't know a soul. 
And um, I mean, I didn't know a soul in Phoenix. And <laughs> <laughs> I'd been I'd been in prison for stealing a loaf of bread. Um, but somebody told me, oh, there's a friend of mine, you should look her up. Um, she's, you know, uh, another refugee from Utah Mormonism, and she's going to this poetry reading. Um, you should meet her there. So I went to this poetry reading thinking I was going to meet this person. And it was actually quite crowded. There were like 30 people there. And it was in a library. And I was like, I mean, I'm just going to sort. So they did the reading. Then I was like, I'm going to sort through all the people and find this woman, mm. just figure out who she is. And the problem was I had to pee. <laughs> and I went to the lavatory in the library and it was broken and walled oh. off. Ooh. And I really really had to pee. So I thought, okay, I guess I'll just go home. I certainly don't have time to chat up everyone in that room. And I left the library and it was literally like a physical force, like a huge hand pushing me to go back into that room. And then I got in my car and I drove away and I actually started crying because the impulse to turn the car around and go back and find this woman was so intense. The, the magnets, when you put same pole against each other, you were being, yes. that's the push. It's pushing you back into it, the library. It was intense. It was incongruous. And I went home and I peed and I was like, well, that was nothing. And the next day, the very next day, I was sitting at like, I'd taken my kids to McDonald's or something to play in the big thing because it, it, it was too hot to play outside. And a woman came by and said, I saw you last night at that poetry reading, <laughs> sat down. It was the woman and she became my best friend in Phoenix for Amazing. a very long time. Yeah. Amazing. It was. It really was. But the urgency. Wow. Did your friend who thought you should hook up not think of just giving you her phone number or? I don't think she had it. They were like vague acquaintances or something. Oh, okay. Yeah, and it was like, oh, yeah, I heard that there was this woman. Yeah, I know not very much about her except that she's going to be at a poetry reading mm, in Phoenix, and there's not many of those. <laughs> not many of those, and uh, hence the crowd. They've been waiting like decades. So you get the the preoccupation and the urgency is either strong or, or weak or building mm -hmm. or whatever, yeah. waxing or waning, and then – do you find for yourself that like lots of synchronicities and oh my God. start showing up around that area, that sort of topic? Constant. And I, and I keep thinking maybe it's just, um, uh, you know, targeted attention. And that's very probably true. But like when I was buying that property in California, I was like, what am I doing? I, I went, I saw it, I came back to Phoenix and I was driving along um, and the, the, place I bought was near San Luis Obispo, California, which is a tiny little place, tiny. And Phoenix is the sixth largest city in the country. And I was going, oh, am I doing the wrong thing? And I pulled up behind a car at a stoplight and it had this big thing on the back that said, welcome to San Luis Obispo. <laughs> and, and then it was just constant. It's a, it's a small town. I'd never heard of it. Yeah. And then it just was everywhere. Yeah. That's like the materialist explanation for that. Um, is called the Barter-Meinhof <laughs> phenomenon or something um, because, I mean, this is my understanding, is that it was like it's only named Barter-Meinhof because it, the, first per the person who coined the term 
this happened to around Baden-Meinhof, the like 70s um, left-wing terrorist organisation, German oh. terrorist organisation, and they heard about Baden-Meinhof for the first time. <laughs> I don't know what, what was going on with the pool there, but um, and then... It was like the next day on the radio, Bader Meinhof, of course, is da-da-da, and then Bader Meinhof, Bader Meinhof. And, um, yeah, and, and so they explain it as just as the selective attention thing. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I feel like this is a weird analogy, but I feel like the the algorithm of the universe, like, builds the new preoccupation into the fabric of your life as you're moving through space, you know, in the in the simulation that we live in um yeah, it's like I'm, the the algorithms just like oh let's put a little more butter mm, mine half mm, in here mm -hmm. but culture does not say that to us it does no. not say um the fabric of the universe has woven a new thread <laughs> through your life no no this is invisible in our sort of contemporary mainstream culture this i mean there's lots of woo woo stuff that lurks at the edges of the culture but as far as mainstream yeah. culture no 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 i once i uh, was working with a woman who was planning to move to a place that was west of the home she then lived in and she said but i went for a walk this morning and when i was walking back i tripped and I was walking west when I walked back, so I don't think I should move into the house I just bought because if I go west, I trip, and that for sure is a sign. I mean, you oh, can dear. get really, you can get out there with it. Oh, um, and so, you know, at first, I, there are two ways that the our, our culture really deals with it. The first purely materialist says, it's nothing, ignore it. And the religions that believe in the woo-woo to some extent, Want to have some the version of it, but it has to be a woo that is controlled by their hierarchy. Yeah. So they will tell you you're either uh, possessed by demons, or maybe if you're lucky, inspired by an angel or something. Neither of those really works for me. So what do you think is going on with with the pool? Like, what's really happening there? If culture can't explain it for us, I will tell you in a minute. I've always been weird. <laughs> when I write and speak professionally, I have to tone it down, especially the part where I believe the universe loves us and is on our side. A few years ago, I decided to just show up online and say what I really think. This became The Gathering Pod, a series of discussions about how to thrive in a difficult world. So if you need hope, inspiration, or a chance to listen to someone much weirder than you could ever be, come join me on The Gathering Pot. Change, eh? Mm, it sure does keep happening. I feel like there's something that you, Martha Beck, have created that will help us understand how change affects us and how to manage it. Oh! By coincidence, now that you mention it, I have. It's called the change cycle. Mm. It's about four aspects of the whole process of change. And we've put the information together in one handy place so that the people can refer to it when they're going through change. And you know what else? We also made podcast episodes about each of the four squares in the cycle that are also on this new page that we've made for the peoples. Well, how remarkable is that? All right. You can find out all about the change cycle at marthabeck.com slash change. So, Marty, we have this mysterious pool. Mm -hmm. Is it something that we actually can 
figure out. Mm. I mean, I start immediately thinking about Malcolm Gladwell's idea in Blink, uh, which I find very compelling, um, that is basically we know more, our brains are a lot smarter than our conscious minds can Mm. process Mm. quickly enough. Uh, So, you know, I wonder, could it be that, you know, the wild mind, as we like to call it, that's free of limitations of of culture and language, that that can Mm. access a different kind of knowledge Mm. that culture doesn't understand? And what is that knowledge? I have no idea. Who knows? I bet you know. I bet you've got a theory. Well, I I, I really like your idea that the wild mind has access to these different kinds of knowledge. But the implication in the Malcolm Gladwell still, you know, in the lines of the culture is, um, yes, somewhere subconsciously you've learned that. Mm. Uh, Like I I get songs where the lyrics describe what's going on in my life and I'll remember a fragment of the song. But when I look it up online, the whole song is really descriptive. I could have just heard the whole song, registered it, pushed it into subconscious, right? Right. But when you get like crazy coincidence upon crazy coincidence, I think, this is my theory, and I may be wrong. Nobody knows what the hell consciousness is. Like what leaves mm. the body? They've tried to like reanimate bodies like Frankenstein's <laughs> monster and everything. And it doesn't work. There, There is electrical activity, but nobody knows how it's conscious. Mm. And yet we know that consciousness has this profound role in physics and everything. Nobody knows what it is. So I think maybe this is what I think at my million years old now. I feel like consciousness is continuous throughout the universe and present in everything. What do you mean continuous throughout the universe? What does that mean? I think that the universe is literally made of consciousness. Like uh, current medicine says, you know, the the consciousness arises out of the brain. Mm -hmm. I believe that the science actually shows that it's more likely that the brain arises out of consciousness. Consciousness Consciousness created brains to play with. Yeah, because when like when you do the double slit experiment in Phoenix, in Phoenix, <laughs> anywhere you can do it anywhere. <laughs> Why did I say that? In physics, you were gonna in say physics. <laughs> physics, Phoenix. What's the difference? We do the double slit experiment in Phoenix. It's so funny because Adam. Your son, my stepson, um, has this thing. One of his uh, narratives that he likes to talk about sometimes is, uh, how does it start? Years ago in Phoenix when I was a different guy and then he'll tell you how he used to eat unhealthy food or he went to high school or something like that. Not anymore. Not anymore. He's a healthy guy now. Yeah. He has Down syndrome. This is for those of you who don't know of him already. Um, Anyway, yeah. So... I think that when you <laughs> sorry the because <laughs> I I'm like mashing it in my head with the poetry reading and I'm like poetry reading the bathrooms boarded up I mean this is not a good advertisement for Phoenix as a fun place to live and there's just people doing double experiments everywhere. <laughs> Everybody's locked up inside. They end up doing physics experiments. I'm sorry. I'll let you talk now. The famous, it's been called the most elegant experiment in the history of physics. It's Um, very cool. It's very cool. And if you don't know about it, look it up. But the takeaway is everything we see as matter is in fact just a cloud of consciousness until 
I'm sorry. It's just a cloud of energy. Stop laughing. You're, you're getting me off my jam. I'm so sorry. I just... <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm really trying to not be laughing. No wonder your ancestors stole bread. <laughs> Two, four, six, so oh, one. Ah, okay. Well, that was a nice interlude. Okay. <laughs> this it. Everything is just a cloud of energy until it is observed by consciousness and then it collapses. The the potential positions collapse into a particle and you have what looks like matter. Gotcha. Okay. But consciousness, there's no way to find out if this works without consciousness because you have to watch with consciousness. We don't or, have the option yeah. of a consciousness-free so control. I don't think that our brains are giving rise to our consciousness. I think our consciousness is creating the brain, the body, and everything about. And I think it's creating this water glass as well. I'm a pantheist. I believe that everything is being made by consciousness as it goes along. And that sometimes it's it's up there playing. We're all aspects of the same consciousness then. And it wants to play with different, like it's playing a big chess game or something, and it wants to put different parts together. And, and the reason I think this there are many reasons. But part of it is that the pull is often reciprocal. Like, yes, that that friend of mine, we worked well together as friends for her and for me. Yeah. And you like you came to Africa to meet me. Yeah. And then even though I'd had many, many seminars there and people give me gifts and I they're wonderful and they're lovely, but I'm, I have ADD and I lose them. I they're somewhere. But you gave me this uh, painting, an Australian Aboriginal painting. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, I rolled it up. It was rolled up in a tube. And I took it back to Phoenix and immediately framed it and put it on the wall. Uh, not Phoenix. Not Phoenix. California. What is wrong with you? Oh, my God. I think I'm rising like a phoenix from the ashes <laughs> of my brain, <laughs> which is not thinking well. I, I feel like you're having the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon. I but with Phoenix, Phoenix, for some reason, consciousness, the one consciousness of which we are all a subjective yeah. experience of, it, it wants you thinking about phoenix yeah i don't know why i hope i don't have to go back to oh everybody who lives in phoenix it's a great town love it really i had a great time there it's hot i love it <laughs> <laughs> not as hot as parts of australia so don't be stealing any bread people <laughs> this is completely unhinged i this love is it nonsense mm. anyway i just wanted to get in this phrase the splendor of recognition i think it's in the upanishad that comes from hinduism and um it's when two parts of the of the God force that are in different material forms see each other, see one another, and they see, you look in my eyes, I look in your eyes, and I see the consciousness that is us both, and it it wants us to recognize each other. And so it's that's called the splendor of recognition. Do you know the little rhyme, I do it with Lila before bed, two little dicky birds sitting on a wall, one named Peter, one named Paul, and you do your little fingers up here for those of you listening to this in audio format. I do not know this. And the you sort of wag waggle your fingers to be each of the birds looking at each other. Mm -hmm. And then, so how I picture the splendor of recognition is the moment when both the birds like look down and see that they're on the ends of two arms that are on one person. That right? is a perfect illustration. Yeah. Thank that's you. That's perfect. Two arms on the same person. And uh, that's why the, the, the pole pulls both sides. 
And I've, one thing I've learned is if somebody comes and says, you know what, I feel a very strong pull that you are supposed to give me money and make my life easy. <laughs> that has to come from both of you. Okay. So if you're not getting it, you can just tell them, yeah, no, thank you. That's not the pull. <laughs> Sorry. That's the push. <laughs> yeah, now. That is very pushy. Um, so what if we just like tried living like this a bit more muddy, like not, you know, Van. selling all our possessions. <laughs> How, How did you know? How did you know? Building to hashtag van life. <laughs> no, not not necessarily doing that quite yet. But like, instead of resisting the pull when we mm. feel it, or just being confused. <laughs> I mean, we can be confused. It's Always. part of bewilderment. But like, just walking a few steps down the path. You know, when mm. when we feel a little bit of a pull along the mm. path, we don't need to know what's at the other end of the path because that's culture saying yeah. you need to know why you're walking on a path. Mm -hmm. But like, see if you like the path, you know, because I think <clears throat> I reckon the path and the destination, if you believe in destinations, um, are kind of made out of the same material hmm. and so as each other. And so like I just <laughs> had this memory of um, – I, when I finish school, you get mm -hmm. your exam, in Australia it's different from here, but like you get your exam results after you've finished all your exams, after you've already finished school and then you've already applied to universities, but then you can change it because you don't, you know, you may, because you now you know what marks you got, so now you know where you can get into. Mm. And I did a little bit better than I was expecting to. And I had this like crisis of should I go study law, right, mm. instead of the fun squishy oh, English and history. You would right. have hated it. But there's then there's that thing of like you got good marks and you can't do science and math so you, you need to do law because that's what smart people do who right. use words instead of numbers. And, um, and I just remember thinking, hang on, if I, I – I knew I wouldn't enjoy studying law. No. And I, then I thought, well, if I wouldn't enjoy the process of learning about the thing – I probably won't enjoy where the thing takes me either. Good logic. Um, personally, you know, not not judging anyone else's thing. But um, and so that's why I think if the path is delicious and intriguing, hmm. the odds are it's taking you somewhere delicious yeah. and intriguing. I think it's also like magnetism in that the closer you get, or gravity, the closer you get to the thing, the harder it pulls. Oh, yes. I, I like when I was choosing graduate. I was applying to graduate school um, and my then husband was going to Harvard still and I just graduated and I wanted to uh, stay there because we didn't have a car is the main reason. <laughs> so I just made three different applications and my undergraduate degree was in East Asian languages and civilizations, um, Chinese basically. And uh, so I applied in that and then I applied in psychology, I think, and in sociology. Now, I'd never even had a class in sociology, hmm. but from the moment I started and like, that was the one I got into and I went home from my first classes and started reading. And I remember I was reading Aristotle because they started us at the beginning. <laughs> I was up reading the whole night. I was like, what is this? This is so delicious. I was like, my brain was starving for it. And I had never studied it, never liked social studies in high school or whatever. And the pull was so strong and delicious. 
God, that's so interesting because this is, I mean, we're just sort of batting back and forth on on um, university study, but it is fascinating, isn't it? Because I I did my I went and did my lovely squishy, easy little lovely arts degree. God love it. I enjoyed it so much. And then went away and didn't ha- have any thought of going back to uni until I think I've told the story about on the podcast before about needing to know what Mossad was. And, and then, all right. Um, but, you know, looking back, it's so weird that I chose to do an advanced degree in something I'd never really thought about before. Right. Like completely different from that undergrad process. I was at a completely different point and the pool was completely different. But the subject matter, like what you're saying, suddenly felt like the most fascinating, compelling. Yes. Like imagine how everyone in the world, not just me, feels about van life. That's <laughs> how I felt about international politics. So weird. <laughs> it, it really is. And I don't know if we ever really understand why we do any of these things, but um, I have a cousin who used to always tell me to, uh, to tell the story of my life backward, like the causality backward. So hmm. instead of like, oh, uh, I was raised Mormon and then I left and it made me this radical sort of out of culture maverick. Instead of putting it in that order, say, I was meant to be a radical out of culture maverick, so I was born Mormon. Right. Or we and then hated had, it. Yeah. And um, we had some sort of stuff that we needed to do together. So I spent all my money on this seminar yeah, in yeah. the middle of nowhere. Or, yeah. So you, and then, so, but like for the sociology, uh, political science stuff, you can say, I mean, you can tell it any number of ways, right? But it's kind of interesting in this context to say, we both had to become very literate in the culture and what it is and what, mm. what it does in order to understand it so that one day we could make a podcast where we kind of can deconstruct it from it's a place totally- of knowing what we're talking about a bit. It's so true. Like I did my PhD dissertation on people. It turned out to be on people who were so pressured by culture that they had to leave for their sanity. And whose PhD thesis is actually like compelling to them? (laughs) We used to have a joke where people would say to each other, so tell me about your dissertation. And then as soon as the person started talking, everyone else in the room would just feign death. Like it was no, don't talk. And yet, if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't be here talking about this with you. That's right. So I, it's interesting to look back from the very moment you're in now and mm. see if the seeds of what you love now was planted were planted maybe decades ago in ways you didn't understand at the oh time. Oh my god! Do you know what? When I said I'll do an arts degree, I'll do a, a like a um, what do you call it over here? Like a liberal arts degree. Mm-hmm. Everyone said to me, if you do that useless degree, you'll end up in a, living in a van down by oh. the river. <laughs> Look, it's so beautiful. <laughs> it is. It's so beautiful. I just want to sit in front of it like I sat in front of the David, Michelangelo's <laughs> David when I finally saw it. That is a work of great van art. I just the- need to say one thing. What? Some vans have hammocks. That, okay, that's it. That's all I wanted to say. <clears throat> Bad that's back. All. Anyway, we can fight about this later. The, the point is here that the, this poll is out there, and I think it's pulling all of us, and it keeps coming, and we don't know. We ignore it most of the time. We don't know its possible ramifications, and we don't get the explanation. You have to kind of, like, who knows what's happening there? I don't know. What do we learn from this? 
I what? think like from a practical situation, from mm. a practical perspective, then mm. you can just say, like, if you feel a pull, just walk along that path a little ways just mm. to see if you like it. You don't need to understand why. Just wander a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And it does, it, it because your mind is wrapped up in the culture, then you know that if you don't understand what where the pull is coming from, it's not from the culture, it's your own connection mm. to the mystery. And if it gets, if it gets more, in, I think with attention and walking down the path, it starts to rise, it gets stronger. Mm. And that, in a word, is fun. And <laughs> what, is. El- what other reason is there to do anything? 100%. Yeah. And all right, so for me, I'm going to keep walking along those mysterious paths. Mm-hmm. You're going to join me? We'll, I will. I believe we'll keep, I will. We'll keep following those inexplicable impulses. And who knows, listeners, maybe we will meet you out there in the inexplicable garden. <laughs> so... Stay wild! We hope you're enjoying Bewildered. If you're in the USA and want to be notified when a new episode comes out, text the word WILD to 570-873-0144. We're also on Instagram. Our handle is Bewildered Podcast. You can follow us to get updates, hear funny snippets and outtakes, and chat with other fans of the show. Bewildered is produced by Scott Forster with support from the brilliant team at MBI. And remember, if you're having fun, please rate and review and stay wild. You know, what I'm seeing out in the world is a lot of fear and a growing amount of despair. Maybe you're feeling that way too, because the ways our culture has taught us to navigate the world, to navigate our lives, they are failing us. We need a new language. We need a new set of tools to find our way individually and as a group. And I know we can still do this. I put everything I do know about it into Wayfinder Life Coach Training. And the tools that I teach there are to help people redefine how we relate to each other, how we make a living, how we do community. We can only change the world for the better if we redefine how we think And the world needs Wayfinders now more than ever. So please go to MarthaBeck.com and you'll find your way. Hello, the lovely peoples. This is Marty, Martha, inviting you to a free masterclass that I have made called Five Paths to Your Purpose. Probably the most common question I get from people is, how do I find my purpose? Why don't I feel that I'm on purpose? Well, it turns out there are certain things you have to do to find your purpose, and I broke them down into five, and I made a little masterclass about it. So if you'd like to see it, just go to marthabeck.com slash purpose, and you will be able to watch it without any charge at all.